0: Psalm 113 is an amazing psalm about the worth of God, which which I want to talk through. This is also a holiday weekend, and uh, God's Word says in Acts chapter 17 that the sovereign God of the universe has literally ordained not only the times that we would live, but also where we live. And so we have the privilege to live in this country. And even though um, many of us perhaps look at uh, the moral slide of our culture and our country and we see things that concern us... um, it is an absolute uh, gracious miracle of God that we get to live in this country. And, and that miracle of God is accentuated by people uh, who sacrifice for it. And so uh, if you are one of those, uh, either you or a family member that sacrifice by, uh, by serving this country uh, and, uh, uh, to, to um, offer us, the opportunity to have freedoms. If you really think about it, there's a lot of people today that do not have the freedoms to do what we're doing right now. There's a lot of places where, uh, where somebody cannot speak into a microphone and sing out loud. Um, these things that they have to sing and whispers, um, and sometimes even silently in caves because it's not legal to do so. There's been tremendous sacrifice that's been offered to us, and so let's 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 pause and let's. Give thanks to the Lord for that, okay? Father in heaven, we're grateful. As we come to your word, it is a remarkable thing uh, to have the freedom to be able to read it out loud. And so, God, we thank you for the privilege to live in this country. We, we thank you for what you have done in this country um, in, uh, Lord, uh, building your church and sending out people with the gospel. Uh, it really is a remarkable thing that in the, in the grand scheme of history, how you have uh, allowed this country to be instrumental in your plan. And we thank you for that. We also want to thank you, God, for, for those uh, who, um, who have gone before us, who have sacrificed, and even right now, Father, not in this country because they're uh, serving this country elsewhere. And we just uh, ask that you would protect and that you would uh, provide, that you would give them peace, that you would watch over them today. And, uh, God, that, that, uh, Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, Lord, Lord just thank you. Lord, for the gift that we have. As we open up your word and as we, Lord, consider that which is most worthy in the whole world, and that is you, I pray that you would give us eyes to see these things within your word. God, you tell us to pray to help us to see wonderful things in your word. And God, we believe that the wonderful thing that we see within your word, certainly not just how we live, but really it's you. So God, would you open up our eyes and help us to see great things, in particular the great one, you. And help us to live our life in response as an act of worship. We love you. We need you. Speak through weakness, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, years ago, when our boys were much younger, my wife um, had the courage to to, uh, take our boys on a family road trip without me. It was for three weeks. And so, uh, I actually flew in to a city where they were at with one week to go in order to get everybody home. But it started in Raleigh, and they drove uh, from here to... Nashville, and then St. Louis, and then Oklahoma City, and then Odessa, Texas, which is where I uh, flew in to meet them. And then we went to Alpine, Texas. And now, if you've been to Odessa, Texas, that's sort of like nowhere. And so you're driving two and a half hours further away from somewhere uh, to get to Alpine, Texas. Uh, And then then we drove all the way across the South, Baton Rouge, Atlanta, all the way back up to Raleigh. And uh, my... wife, because she's not only courageous, but because she's also a lot of fun. She, she thought that, you know, it's going to be me and these boys for a long time in the car together. And so I want to try to make it as fun as possible. And so she went out the night before, uh, and she went out with Velcro and with yarn and a lot of other things. And she, um, uh, reconstructed the map of where they were going on the ceiling of our van. Okay. And it, featured city names and landmarks and monuments and things that they would see all along the way various people family members that they'd be staying with and visiting with and driving with and and then there was a little car a little little plastic car that that, that was really lightweight she put velcro on that and it would stick and so every time that they made it to a new place uh, they would they would move the car and she did this really for two reasons one is because they were young it's a long trip. It, it, it just gave perspective of where they were in the journey. But second would be to celebrate progress. And so that as they finally made it somewhere, they could they could move it and they could celebrate, get candy, ice cream, et cetera, right? And, and, and so I share that with you to share this is... As we come out of a series in John for two months, we'll be going back in September. But as we come out of John, it's really easy for you to have some perspective when we're going through a book of the Bible. Because if we're in chapter 3 and we finish that, you're just going to assume, well, next week we're probably going to start chapter 4. But when you do a 10-week topical series on worship, you really have no idea. And so I want to give you a little bit of perspective so that you can celebrate our progress as we go through, okay? Okay. Uh, And so this is where we're going. It's on the screen so that you can see. The first two weeks is really foundational, okay? And it's really the worth of God and the work of God. It's, it's, It's who God is, which is the foundation of all of worship, but it's also what he's doing. It's his being and it's his doing. And this becomes really, really important because what we'll see is after that, every aspect of life, when it's lived in accord with worship, keeps these two things in mind, who God is and what God is doing. And then we're going to look at eight different areas of life where you and I typically spend a considerable amount of time while we're here on this earth. Things like working and resting and celebration. We're going to talk about kids and our investment in kids. If you have kids, it's going to look like parenting. If not, it's going to look like investment in kids, friendship, marriage. And then when we grow and gather, what we're talking about there is really when we come to this place and we come to this big room, What do we really hope takes place here? That's an investment of time. But then as we continue to grow in the Lord by having quiet times or or as you and I engage in some kind of a small group, why would we invest our time in these areas? And what we're going to try to do as we go through each of these eight is to understand that God has intended for each of these areas to be a platform for us to worship him, but also to be able to help other people to worship him. But here this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 113. We're going to just examine the worth of God. And then what we're going to do, if you've noticed, we only sang two songs up front, is that we have several more songs at the end of our time so that we get to practice and to give God a sacrifice of worship in response to what we read here in his word. So if you would, Psalm 113, let's go ahead and read that together. He says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high and above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people he gives the barren woman a home making her the joyous mother of children praise the lord now, i want to show you 3 things that we find here in this text the first is this is that worshiping god is the most fitting of all human experience Worshiping God is the most fitting of all human experience. You need to know that there is absolutely nothing that is as accurate as it should be as when God's creation bows before him, our creator, to be unashamed before God and to live our lives in response to God's work and in response to God's worth is not only the most pleasant, but it's the most fitting thing that you and I can do, not only here on this earth, but in heaven for all time. You see, worship is sort of like a perfectly fitted key that literally unlocks our soul, allowing us to rest in that area of our life, allowing us to breathe in that area of our life allowing us to refocus in that area of our life. In fact, there's a little slide that I want to just show you so that you can hopefully get this picture, right? That you and I, we live in darkness because of sin. We know that there's more. In fact, we can see light creeping through little crevices that God created on the earth. And there's literally a key that unlocks the opportunity for us to anchor everything that now lives in darkness and to be able to experience a light that really is there, and that is worship is that when we worship the Lord because we see who he is and respond to who he is, all of a sudden, every area of our life begins to make sense. And you need to understand this, is that any time, any area of our life, I'm talking about our working or our resting or our parenting or our marriage or our friendship, those, those elements where we're spending our time, any time those things are not anchored and unlocked by worship, they tend to crumble under our hands. They, they tend to convulse with shock. They tend to have chaos. And the reason is because worship is the thing that anchors all of our life back to who God is and what God is doing. And you see, this is what the psalmist does. This is why he's pleading for worship within Psalm 113. It's because he cares so deeply about our joy. You see, he starts, and it's really interesting that he starts with a generic plea. It's really not aimed at anyone in particular. Sort of like if you're in the park and you see a crisis taking place and you run over and you just yell, help. There may not be an intended recipient in your mind as to who is supposed to come and help. You're just hoping someone in earshot can hear what you're saying and will run and help. And this is how he starts. He just blurts out, praise the Lord it's really for anyone. Anyone who can hear me say this should be doing this. Anybody, somebody come and praise the Lord. You See, he's seen the worth of God. He knows that he's worthy. He knows praise should be happening. And yet he sees that it's not. And so he just calls out, hoping that somebody will respond. Now, imagine you're still in that park, There's a crisis. You yell out help and there's nobody. And then all of a sudden you start looking. Nobody immediately runs to you. So you start looking for someone and hoping that you can see a human being around. And all of a sudden you turn and right over there you see two doctors in their scrubs sitting on a nearby bench. And now all of a sudden your plea is not generic. It's personal. And you say, hey, you, you were built for this. You were trained for this. This is why you're a doctor. Come help now. And this is what the psalmist does. This is what he sees. He says, praise the Lord. And now he's looking for someone and he looks over and he sees the people of God. And so if you notice the very next thing, he says, praise what? Oh, servants of the Lord. You were built for this. You were trained for this. God created you for this. You even recognize there is a God to praise. And so he's pleading at this moment. You, you guys come. Those who have been built for this very thing, come and praise the Lord. He's worthy of this. Now, if you notice in your Bible, there's probably in between verse one and verse two, there's a little space. It's almost like somebody hit enter twice on their keyboard and dropped verse two just a little bit further down. Right now, why is that? Well, because the Psalms are actually songs. People used to sing these. And so this is kind of like the first verse. And perhaps they'd sing that over and over again. And then all of a sudden, that little space, it's a moment in time where the instruments continue to play and to give us the opportunity to think about what we have just sung and to think about what would be the next lyric if it was me. And so he's pausing. He's thinking. And then all of a sudden, he says, you know, everyone should be praising. You people were built for praise. And then he starts to see something. And that is, you know what? Every single place in between the sunrise and the sunset, there are people living there. And all of those people should be praising him as well. And so what he does is he looks and he says, look, is that if you are a human being and, and God gives you breath in your lungs and you enjoy the sunlight as it makes its daily journey from rise to set, It is fitting. It's the most fitting thing for you to praise the Lord. He says the same thing in Psalm 117, verse one. He says, praise the Lord, all nations extol him, all peoples. You see, what he's saying is this, is that if we could see that he is the worthy one, that he's the creator of the universe, that he's the sustainer of all things that he's the protector and provider and comforter of all things, that he is the Lord God. And apart from him, there is no other. Is that it is the most natural thing. It's the most obvious thing that our entire life should be spent worshiping this one who is above all. And so he looks around and he says, if you have breath in your lungs, you should be praising the Lord. It's the most fitting thing that we can do. Is to look up and say, You created me, and I'm going to give my life to praise you. The second thing that we see in this text is that worshiping God is fueled only by the worth of God. The worth of God. Worship needs fuel. Have you ever noticed, and I know you have, we come and we come to this place and it's time for us to do musical worship. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you just don't want to? Mark or Sean or somebody says, okay, stand and sing with us. And you think, well, I should probably should stand because, because other people might see. I don't really want to even stand. Maybe you're just defiled or exhausted or tired or distracted. Sometimes it's time to worship when the, when the church gathers to sing to him, and you just don't want to. Sometimes you see things, uh, what is the fuel? It's not these guys. It's not a pep rally. The only fuel for worship, this is what Mark was saying earlier, is that sometimes even when you don't want to sing, and all of a sudden you see something that's true about God and it helps your spiritual eyes to be able to envision something that's true of him and it ignites your heart heart to, to see he is the worthy one. He he deserves this. So whether I'm tired or not, this is the time to give him a sacrifice of praise. That's why it's called sacrifice. Sacrifice means sometimes you don't want to. Sometimes it feels bad. Sometimes it hurts. And yet that's exactly when it's time to do this. And what, he, what he's saying here is this. He goes, you know, there's a lot of people around the world today that I see that are not worshiping the Lord. And the only way for them to worship the Lord is for them to literally have fuel. And the only fuel is for them to be able to see something of the magnificent worth of God. And so what he does is he wants to talk about God. And so he says, verse four, he says, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord, our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. So I want you to notice that the first portrait, it all describes God as high and exalted and big and strong. And the fact is, is those of us who know God or know something about God, this part doesn't surprise us at all. If you and I did not have a Bible and we all gathered together and said, let's collectively invent a God to worship. Did you know that we would make him high and exalted? We would make him strong. He'd be like a superhero, right? We'd say, well, you know, he should be able to know more than us. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, let's, let's make him wise. We wouldn't worship somebody or invent somebody that's less than us to worship. And so this doesn't necessarily surprise us that God's high and he's above the clouds and he looks down upon us. These things are natural and normal. This is why you and I throughout life, even as, as a child, right, we're, we're asked, hey, if you could be one superhero for a day, which one would you be? No one's ever asked, hey, if you could have like the lowest job on the whole earth for a day, which job would you do? We love the big. We love the exalted. It's natural to us. See, what's stunning and uninventable is that then God raises the poor from the dust and he raises the needy from the ash heap in order to make them sit with princes. You see, for God to be able to do this, he has to descend and get into the ash heap with us. He has to get in the ashes and in the dust with us in order to raise us up from them. And this is the part that's uninventable. This is the part that no human being has ever sat down and said, you know what? Let's create a humble God. A servant God. A dying God for our sin. This is uninventable. Because we can't imagine it for ourselves. But this is exactly what he is. You see, only in God do seemingly contradictory attributes find perfect peace. He's the lion and the lamb. And he's big enough where both of those realities can find a perfect rest and home. He's the exalted one and the humble one. He is perfectly just and he's perfectly merciful. All the attributes of God, they all meet with him. And they're all at rest. You see, but just as a weightlifter, when he has too much weight on his shoulders, that his legs begin to tremble and shake and bend and bow. So words tend to buckle under the pressure when used to describe them. So I want you to think of it like this. Let's just say that we have a whole thing of balloons, right? And we blow one up and each balloon represents a word or an attribute. So we blow one up, tie it up. This is love. God is loving. And we know something true about God. He's love when we put it down on the ground. blow up another one you know he's holy and all of a sudden we have all of these beautiful balloons all around us we have this beautiful perspective of god we have this clear understanding of god all of a sudden god sits on those balloons and it's like putting a semi-truck on top of those balloons and those balloons they start to press down and buckle and bend under the pressure of what they're asked to describe and they simply cannot hold up the weight human language is God condescending? When, when he says, I'm holy, do you realize that he condescends to give us a word that our small pea brain can understand something that's true about him? But when anybody has seen him, no human language ever does it justice. I want to show you this. There's a guy, his name is Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, we're told that he was allowed, God, he's a prophet, he, God allows Ezekiel to see the glory of God. Now, he doesn't actually see God himself because the glory blinds him, and he eventually finds himself on the face. But it's interesting as you read through Ezekiel 1, which if you do, I'll just give you a heads up right now. You'll be like, what? Right? Because, it's, because the vision is so overwhelming. You're like, man, there's like faces flying around. It's the, it, it, it's the most, well, it's very complex. Okay? But what's interesting is this, is in your Bible sometime, go through chapter 1 of Ezekiel in either circle underline or just look at the words like or appearance and what you find is this as he, as he draws near to the temple he can use language that he that he looks at he goes hey look there's an entrance now all of us know what an entrance looks like it looks like a door so he doesn't say a, it's like an entrance but the closer he gets to the holiness of God, the holy of holies and the absolute glory of God, the more his language starts to buckle under the pressure of trying to describe what he sees. And so I want to read some to you right here. Okay, this is near the end of it. He says, and above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne. Now, let me just pause for a second. How many of you know what a throne looks like? You know what a throne looks like, right? It looks like a chair. Okay, you're sitting on one. I could look at that and go, you know what? That's not the likeness of a chair. That's a chair. And so what, what, what this means is that Ezekiel is looking at what God is sitting on. And even that is beyond vocabulary. And so he says, well, it's, it's kind of like a throne. Not exactly, but kind of like a throne. In appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist... I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. So is the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. This is who we're worshiping. He's beyond vocabulary. And so what God does is he chooses to help us by revealing himself to us in the Bible with relatable attributes. Words that we have a category for that we go, oh, I sort of understand that. So there's words like omnipresence, which means that God is in all places at all times. Jeremiah 23 verse 24 says, can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill the earth? You see, this is the hope that right now we have a team overseas in Romania and God is with them just as he's with us. Now, you and I are not omnipresent, but at least we have a category like, okay, well, I know this is something true about God. We're told in the Bible that God is holy Isaiah 6 3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We're told that God is love. First John 4 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Psalm 90, verse 2 says that from everlasting to everlasting you are God. He's an eternal God. Psalm 145, verse 3 says that his wisdom is unsearchable, that he knows all things. You see, throughout the scripture, Attribute after attribute after attribute after attribute, God is stooping down so that we can see and know something true about God, even though language doesn't do him justice. You see, friends, if you've ever had the thought that heaven is going to be a boring place because you're going to sit around forever worshiping God, there's a real, real chance that you've never seen God. And although our worship in heaven will be far more than singing songs, it will never get boring and you will never tire unless you are not there. In which case, the thought of people enjoying what you do not will tire quickly. He is so much more than you and I know that you will never tire of seeing him. He's beyond us. But here on the earth where our physical eyes cannot see him and where he stoops down to let us use words so that we know something about us. Worship then becomes our joyful and sacrificial response to the worth and to the work of God. Now you say, okay, boil that down into practical terms. I will. On Tuesday, when you go to work, if you choose to do a good job and put forth an effort that's worthy of his glory, meaning that you say, you know what? I notice and recognize that God does excellent work and so I'm going to try to do excellent work as well in order to please him. God counts that as worship. Whether you're doing account sheets or whether you're sweeping your floor, all of it can be worship. So long as your head is tilted up, you're saying, God, I'm going to do this because I am responding to who you are and to what you've done. The same can be true in terms of forgiveness. Someone may hurt you this week and you may have to forgive them. And forgiveness can be an act of worship if you remember, you know what? God has forgiven me. And so I want to honor God in the way that I respond in this situation as well. Maybe, maybe the case this week that you need to be patient with a parent or with a child. Maybe over the weekend, you get extended time together, right? And so the more time we have together, the more opportunity there is for us to be able to forgive one another and to be patient with one another. And when that time for patience is there, you can, you can muster it up because you think, well, it would be better that if I don't. But if, on the other hand, you look and say, you know what? God has been so incredibly patient towards me. And so as an act of worship, I'm going to treat you in the way that God has treated me. God counts that as worship. See, we come in these doors and we call this room a worship center. And if you were to ask somebody who walked in, what happens in that room? You say, well, typically what happens is there's preaching and then there's worship. See, we boiled down worship and made it the camouflage word for music. But you have to understand worship is far more than that. What you're doing right now can be an act of worship. If you recognize that God is the source of all truth and he has written to you something that he wants you to apply in your life. And if you are listening as intently as possible, saying, God, would you teach my heart? Then this becomes worship, what you're doing right now. When you walked in these doors and all of a sudden you see people that you didn't know, you have the opportunity to either be inhospitable or hospitable to people that you don't know. And if you could at that moment remember that God Almighty has welcomed you and has been hospitable to you to welcome you into his family. And all of a sudden we transfer that and we go out and we say, I want to go and meet somebody, meet somebody I don't know right now. Even though it may be awkward, I'm scared, whatever. God counts that as an act of worship. You see, everything that we do can be an act of worship so long as we're responding to God. We do all these things not to repay God with our worship, but to respond to God in our worship. And simply because we're at a place in our church to where we've, last Sunday night, we decided to do something, okay? If you don't know that, the church family voted last week, last Sunday night, uh, to, to, to do two projects. One is to expand this worship center. The ceiling is going to go higher. That wall is going to go further out, and so is that wall. We're also going to finish off a parking lot over on the east side. Well, the fact is, last Sunday, I I, I said, if we're going to vote yes to this, I want to encourage you to consider that don't vote yes unless you're ready as a church family for us to really think about. We need to lean in to the church and to the Lord in four specific ways. Now, the worst thing possible would be for me to lead you to lean in toward anything and not anchor that to our worship of God, because the whole point is worship of God. Don't forget this. Okay, worship is not a means to any end. It is the end of every means. Why is there a mission team right now overseas? It's because those people don't know about Christ and so they're not worshiping him. But one day missions is gonna stop because he's gonna come back and everyone's gonna know and we're all gonna worship him. We don't worship him in order to do any other thing. That's the thing. That's the, that's the end. That's the goal. And so how does this building and what we're gonna be doing together have anything to do with what the central purpose, it, all this is a means to an end, you see. So what is it? Well, I talked about four ways for us to lean in. The first was we need to lean in by praying. And I talked about seven different areas and they're in your little worship handout here this morning, right? They're, they're, they're all there. And if you lose that, then they're back at next steps in a little card for us to be praying collectively together that God would work inside of our hearts as a body and not just to build extra bricks, Now, why would we do this? Well, it's because the Bible has told us that he's a faithful high priest, that he loves to hear us pray and that he answers our prayers and that he wants to do stuff in our life in response to our praying. So what's the appropriate way to worship a God who makes these kinds of promises? It's to pray. God has been incredibly generous to us. He's given us so much. And so the second way for us to lean in and how that relates to worship is that we need to lean into this by giving. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen because I'm not going to give you all of the all of the backdrop of this. But but. But just very simply, what what I talked about last week is is there's really two kinds of categories that I'm asking you right now to be praying about this month. That would God have you give? And if he inclines your heart to do so, then you can. If not, that's between you and him. Okay. But there's really two different categories. One is, as a result of a year and a half of intentional giving by many in our congregation, there's a great amount of money that's been saved up towards this project, but it's not the full amount. And we would love to pay for this thing with cash. And so what we're doing is really two things. First of all, is those who are giving, we're just asking, would you pray to the Lord that you would extend your commitment six additional months so instead of ending this December that it would end in June of seventeen. But then second is there's a lot of people, about 50% of the church family, who either were not here at the time or who did not commit at that time. We're asking you at this point in time, with a change in variables that you can read about and you can hear about, would you consider giving towards this project for one year until June of 2017? Now, all of this is simply intended to be an act of worship. In fact, if we choose to give and we're not thinking about the Lord, I would actually... I feel like we will have failed as a people. If we pay it off with cash, void of a sight of God, we will have failed. It's all about worship. The third thing, right, is that we need to lean in by excelling in hospitality. When the bricks start getting cut, there's going to be more dust around here. There's going to be doors that will be shut. The front doors will actually be shut for a period of time. You won't be able to walk through there. So if it's confusing to you, think about how confusing it's going to be as to where to go if you're a visitor. And so because God has welcomed us, we want to worship God by welcoming others. And then fourth is we will need to lean in towards each other, to be committed to one another, not to see this as an opportunity to let the dust settle and then I'll come back at that time. That God Almighty has created a body and every, every part of the body is needed by the rest of the body. And so it's an act of worship that we say, you know what? a lot of dust and it's uncomfortable right now, but I'm going to lean in and be committed to the people called providence. You see, all worship begins and ends with the sight of God, which is why the psalmist David, he prayed one thing, just one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Well, the last thing is this, is that worshiping God is only made possible because of Jesus. It's not only the most fitting thing, it's not only fueled by the worth of God, by seeing God, but you need to understand this, is that worshiping God is only possible because of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I were like a palm tree. We were created to worship. And just like a palm tree naturally leans toward the sun, you and I were created to naturally lean towards God. We were... We were created, literally, that when we wake up and if God was over here, we would all want to lean in towards him, to be near him. And then all of a sudden, we sinned. And when we sinned and fell short of his glory and our relationship with him was severed, our worship went awry. We still had the impulse of worship in our heart, but there was no place to direct it. And so Romans chapter 1 says that we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and we worshiped and served the creature instead of the creator. That's why today in places that do not have the gospel, you can find people that are worshiping rivers and rocks and the sun and the moon and fertility gods and and all kinds of things, the the creation. People are naturally we are going to worship all of our heart is going to worship whatever part is not worshiping the lord god will still be worshiping and so the problem is every single one of us have sinned and so instead of leaning towards the sun we started leaning towards the shadows worshiping things that are simply not worth worship and the remarkable thing that you see within scripture is that instead of crushing us god made a promise to literally send a redeemer in order to crush the head of evil and restore us to a right relationship with God. And his manner in fulfilling this promise really is remarkable. He comes to a man who's worshiping rocks. His name is Abraham. His heart has the inclination to worship, but instead of worshiping the son of God, leaning towards light, he's leaning towards the shadows. And so it says that he was an idolater. He was Carving little statues and bowing down and worshiping them. He and his family. And God in grace chose him and he said, this is what I'm going to do, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to give you a land. And there will be so many descendants from you that one of them will be the redeemer. Who will come, who will be born of a woman. And he will save his people from their sin. Well, in the 17th chapter of Genesis, God comes back to Abraham, who's struggling with believing this promise. He's believing, but he's like, when's it going to happen? And all of a sudden, he makes another promise. And this is what it says. God tells him, look, I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. So now all of a sudden, we're supposed to be reading the Bible. not only waiting for a man to be born. We're supposed to be waiting for a king. Okay, there's a king coming somewhere. And that's our hint to know that that's the one that we're supposed to believe. That's the one that we're waiting for. And this promise was extended to Isaac, his son, and then to Jacob, his son. And it it was kept passing from generation to generation that there's going to be a king. Eventually, we get to a story about a lady named Hannah. You can read it in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And Hannah, she can't have a baby. So she's crying, and all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to give you a baby. You you notice the last verse in our passage? It says that he gives the barren a baby. Well, then this is what happens. She's so overwhelmed that this baby, his name is Samuel, who's not a king, but he's going to anoint oil over the first king of Israel. She's so overwhelmed that she devotes a chapter or writing, and it actually becomes a chapter within the Bible of her prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. And I want to read you two of the verses from that prayer. First of all, it's verse 8. You'll recognize it somewhere that we've read recently. It says, he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. And two verses later, she wants to talk about a king. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king. Well, there's no king yet. But she's still hoping in the promise that there will come one that will be born of woman. That's the high and exalted one that will literally come into the ash heap in order to raise us up out of it. And this is what God did. See, we're supposed to read through the kings asking the question, is this the king? Is this the king? And 43 times these kings sin and die. And then in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman. In order to redeem mankind. And he came to earth in this Jesus Christ, who's the high and exalted one. He humbled himself and condescended and took on flesh and jumped into our ash heap in order to raise us out of it. And how he did it was he lived a righteous life. And yet he went to a cross to die for your sin and mine. He was buried in a grave and then he rose from the dead and said, all, all who believe in me, I will reorient your heart so that you can see me and begin to worship me. And that key will turn and all of a sudden healing will begin to come into your life. You see, this is the God that we worship. And so as a church family, a few applications before we sing to the Lord. First is let's trust Christ who alone is worthy of worship. This Jesus did this for us. He is worthy of your worship. And if you've never trusted Christ, then we want to give you the opportunity at the end of our time to respond to that, to say, Christ, I need you. I believe you. I believe what you have done for me, your accomplishment. I want to live the rest of my life in response to your work on the cross and resurrection. You can trust him today and be forgiven of your sin. The second thing as a church family, I would encourage us to apply to our life is let's give ourselves to seeing the worth of God in Scripture. What What am I saying there? I'm saying read your Bible. When we read the Bible, all of a sudden our eyes begin to see the complexity and the beauty and the glory of God on the pages of Scripture. And our heart is able then to respond in worshiping who that is. We cannot be the people of God and close our Bibles. The Bibles must stay open. We must be reading them. We must be talking about it. Because it's the word of God that allows us to see God so that we don't worship the Bible, but we worship the God the Bible points us to. The third thing is let's recognize that all of life is a response to God's worth. Even today, here in a minute, we're going to sing to the Lord. And it's time to give him a sacrifice of praise. He is worthy of it. So would you prepare your heart with me as we pray together? Father in heaven we love you we are so grateful we're so grateful that you've given us the privilege that even after we rebelled against you and sinned and walked away that you gave us the privilege to be forgiven to be brought back into your family and to be made a part of the people that are called to proclaim your excellencies we thank you father for the healing that can take place in our life even at this moment of singing if we will take our attention off of ourself and we'll think about what we're singing and we'll give to you a sacrifice of praise. So Father, would you help us to praise the Lord? We believe that from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And so in our sacrifice of giving now, as well as our sacrifice of singing now, we declare that you are worthy of our life. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.